Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is the Martin Luther King Jr. Day special, unifying America from the CBS Audio Network. I'm CBS News political contributor Jamal Simmons. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is known as the People's Holiday because his message of faith, hope, and love is as important today as it ever was and still resounds with most people. Reverend King was able to express that message in his books, lectures, and speeches. But nowhere was King more poignant than when he was fulfilling his vocation by delivering a sermon on Sunday. CBS News special correspondent James Brown looks at one of King's most memorable sermons that has a special resonance today. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, Revised Standard Version. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is remembered as a civil rights leader, a Nobel Prize winner, and an advocate for peace and the poor. His speeches and writings are enshrined as some of the greatest political essays in American history. But to truly honor King, we must remember his full title, with the word that precedes the honorific doctor, with the word that represents his true calling, reverend. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s greatest achievements came in service to his calling as a preacher of the gospel. In the mid-1950s, as he turned his attention beyond the confines of his congregation to a nation in turmoil, he wrote and delivered one of his greatest sermons, A Knock at Midnight. Our text this morning is taken from one of the familiar parables of our Lord and Master found in the 11th chapter of the Gospel as recorded by St. Luke. In this sermon, King spoke of the parable of a friend knocking on your door at midnight seeking loaves of bread to feed the hungry. He likened it to the civil rights struggle of African Americans seeking equality and justice, knocking on the door of American institutions. By 1967, he expanded the lessons of the parable to address racism, materialism, and war. All of this is indicative of the fact yeah. <laughs> that it is midnight 
in the psychological order. But not only that, it's midnight in the moral order. Midnight is a time when all colors lose their distinctiveness in the sense of the moral order. Midnight is a time when all moral values lose their distinctiveness. King's equation of midnight as a time of moral disarray and despair is echoed in his own early experience as an advocate for and a leader of the dispossessed. In 1955, a young Reverend King had been enlisted in support of the Montgomery bus boycott and then chosen as its leader. Months later, the African-American community and the city of Montgomery were still at odds. A weary 26-year-old King came home late at night and sat alone at his kitchen table. The phone rang and the caller made yet another death threat against King and his family. He was told to leave Montgomery or his wife and child would be killed. Reverend King recorded his thoughts from that midnight in Montgomery. King wrote, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward in the state of exhaustion when my courage had all been gone. I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I'm afraid the people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. Then King says in his book, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And I will be by your side forever. I'll not leave you alone. No, never, never, never will I leave you alone. Fifty-five years later, it now feels that we too, as a nation, are alone at the table, and it is once again midnight. A deadly pandemic is sweeping our nation, bringing with it death and destruction. As a result, our economy has been ravaged, and our fellow citizens are struggling to preserve their livelihoods and feed their families. And political and racial divisiveness in our nation has culminated in more violence and death. It must truly feel like we are experiencing midnight in America. Our friends, our neighbors, are knocking on our door at midnight. The parable talked about this man seeking three loaves of bread, physical bread. In our world today, men and women are in search for three loaves of spiritual bread. They want the bread of faith. So many people have lost faith in themselves. 
They've lost faith in their neighbors. They've lost faith in God. Then that is a quest for the bread of hope. Everybody needs this bread. Everybody wants it. When you stop hoping, you die. And yet so many people have lost hope today. They feel that they have nothing to look forward to. Then that is a quest for the bread of love. Everybody needs this bread. We need to learn how to love. The great problem of mankind today is still that there's too much hatred around. More than anything else, we've got to learn to love. There are so many things that need to be done to heal what Reverend King calls the soul of our nation. Where can we go as a nation? What can we do when we are turned away from the door at midnight? If we return to the parable in Luke's gospel, we read, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. And those who seek, find. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Back in Montgomery, the year that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had his own midnight of despair, the city of Montgomery appealed to the Supreme Court opposing the desegregation of the municipal bus system. King writes in his book, Strength to Love, of when he received the Supreme Court's ruling. In Anxiety and Hope, I read these words. The United States Supreme Court today unanimously ruled bus segregation unconstitutional in Montgomery, Alabama. My heart throbbed with an inexpressible joy. The darkest hour of our struggle had become the first hour of victory. Someone shouted from the back of the courtroom, God Almighty has spoken from Washington. The dawn will come. Disappointment, sorrow, and despair are born at midnight. But morning follows. Weeping may endure for a night, says the psalmist, but joy cometh in the morning. In our hour of midnight, we must persist. We must persevere. As Reverend Dr. King tells us, we must relentlessly pursue and find faith, hope, and love in order to find our new dawn. CBS News Special Correspondent James Brown responding to a knock at midnight. You're listening to the Martin Luther King Jr. Day Special, Unifying America. From the CBS Audio Network, I'm CBS News political contributor Jamal Simmons. This is the Martin Luther King Jr. Day special, Unifying America. From the CBS Audio Network, I'm CBS News political contributor Jamal Simmons. Just months after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis, Tennessee, the late Mike Wallace went to visit Dr. King's family, Coretta Scott King, and her children. That interview aired on 60 Minutes on Christmas Eve, 1968. In April of this year, America, the world, was stunned by the killing of Dr. Martin Luther King. 
In December, at Christmas time, 60 Minutes went to the King home in Atlanta, Georgia, to see how his family was faring. We visited last Saturday with Coretta King and her four children. Mrs. King, I wonder if you'd introduce your family to us. This is Dexter Scott. And how old are you, Dexter? Seven. Now, uh, this fellow over here... This is Martin Luther III. We call him Marty. And how old are you, Marty? I'm 11 years old. Have you decided what you're going to do when you grow up? I want to be a preacher like my father. You do? Yeah. And this is Bunny. Yes. And what are you expecting for Christmas, Bunny? A bicycle. To your left is Yolanda. Yolanda Denise. We call her Yoki. How old are you, Yoki? I'm 13. And where do you go to school and what grade are you in? I go to Grady High School and I'm in the ninth grade. Inasmuch as you're 13, you're the oldest one in the family, do you have uh, special responsibilities? Well, uh, since I'm the oldest and all, I have to watch after Marty and Dexter and Bunny, and they aren't really that much trouble. And when Mother goes out of town, we have to, I have to look after them. I must say they are a handsome and healthy and pretty happy-looking bunch of children, and Yogi especially. I imagine that she must have been a real consolation at the, at the time of the tragedy. Yes, she was, uh, Mike. Um, she was really so much of a consolation to me because of the way she accepted this uh, with so much understanding and so much courage. And, and it was so reassuring to me when she said to me, Mommy, I'm not going to cry because my dad is not dead. He may be dead physically. And one day, I'm going to see him again. And she said, Mommy, you are such a brave and strong lady. I don't know what I'd do if I were in your shoes. Mommy, should I hate the man who killed my dad in? And I said, no, darling, Daddy wouldn't want you to do that. And, of course, I also said to her, you are so brave, and I'm so proud of you. And I put my arms around her. And, of course, she didn't cry very much. I didn't see her crying anymore, really. Mm-hmm. And And... And she's been very happy uh, and very well-adjusted since because she, she too, feels that there was meaning in this death. You know, what my husband said so often, that unearned suffering is redemptive. And I think uh, somehow all of us have felt that, that uh, he gave his life in such a meaningful way uh, that what he lived for and what he gave his life for will bring about some of the changes that are necessary. But let me ask you, Mrs. King, I think that some of us sit around sometimes and wonder if the death of Martin Luther King didn't leave the civil rights movement for a lot of people leaderless, rudderless. I don't think that this is so. I I think that if we are looking for another 
Martin Luther King, we won't find him because uh, he comes once in a century, uh, maybe once in a thousand years. Um, but there are many other persons now who will come forth, I believe, and assume leadership that they never assumed before because they feel that there is this need. But as far as black leaders are concerned, I think that you'll agree. We hear in the papers, see on television more about the young black militant leaders. We hear names like Carmichael and Brown and Cleaver and Newton and Seale. And you begin to wonder if perhaps they aren't getting more followers than some of the older civil rights leaders. Well, there are those persons who don't, uh, who at least say they don't believe in nonviolence. Uh, as a tactic, uh, but I tend to feel that there are many more people who believe, uh, who at least believed, say they believed in the things that Martin Luther King believed in, than there are who believe in violence and destruction. Uh, I think we tend to hear those people who speak loudest, and sometimes they are persons who uh, whose message is, is uh, exaggerated out of proportion uh, very often. Uh, there, yeah, there, there, are, there is this determination on the part of many black people who are called militants, uh, this, d d this determination uh, and this, this desperation, the, the fact that they want right now and I do too. We want Martin Luther King wanted uh, equality, now. justice, right now. Uh, I think we all want the same things. Our goals are basically the same. Uh, but I tend to feel that uh, those things that he gave his life for uh, will become stronger rather than weaker because he has become now a martyr for his cause. And many of the poor people that he, uh, whose rights he fought for, have hope somehow. It's a strange thing, but, but they have hope that they didn't have before, even though he's not here. Certainly your life has changed a good deal since last April, Mrs. King. What, what is your life like now? How much time to family? How much time to work? How much time to writing the book? I feel that my primary responsibility is to my family and bringing up my children. And they need me, especially now that I'm the only parent. And I plan to, that is, is my first priority. Uh, aside from that, of course, I am writing the book. And I will have to see it finished. And this is going to take a good bit of my time. I am making some appearances. Uh, those things still, many of these things are connected with my husband's work. Now, this may be a difficult question for you to answer. Will this be, can this be, a happy Christmas in the King household? Christmas will be sad for us, as it will be for many people, I think, uh, this year. I, I would imagine that the whole nation uh, cannot really have a happy Christmas with 
these two great tragedies and the other conditions of the world was still involved in the war in Vietnam and all the problems of poverty and and the conflict and our and our urban crises and so on but I think that um, it doesn't mean that we will sit around and bathe in our grief I think that very often a time like this causes people to really reflect on the deeper meaning of say Christmas or any other occasion I remember Easter of 1963 when my husband was jailed in Birmingham I had just had my fourth child and was not was still confined to my house and he had gone to jail on Good Friday and Easter I had not heard from him and I was very depressed but somehow that was the most meaningful Easter that I have ever experienced because you know Easter is a time of suffering but it's creative you know if it can be creative suffering so I think if we can look on this Christmas season as a time for reflecting and a time to think of the deeper meaning and the real spirit of Christmas which should be should which should be the spirit of giving and giving unselfishly and I think if we think in terms of my husband's life and his death in those terms then we will not be as sad we will be hopeful because in his death there is hope for redemption. That was Mike Wallace interviewing Coretta Scott King and her children just months after the death of Martin Luther King Jr. on CBS News 60 Minutes. You're listening to the Martin Luther King Jr. Day special, Unifying America from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jamal Simmons. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You're listening to the Martin Luther King Junior Day Special, Unifying America from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jamal Simmons. Here is former CBS contributor Wynton Marsalis, one of the greatest jazz musicians of our generation, and his reflections on Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> I grew up in Louisiana in the 1960s. 
segregated southern towns. My parents had to deal with colored-only signs long after they had become adults. My grandparents, forget about it. My world was entirely black. I was in the second grade when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. We knew something bad had happened only because we were sent home early that day. The next year, my brothers and I went to the white school across the tracks. My mama said change wouldn't come from complaining. King had sacrificed, so should we. And for us, integration came at a steep price. Just the nicknames alone, Blackie, Burnt Toast, and of course, Nigga. It was tough, but it opened our eyes to a more humane world hidden by segregation. We had more in common with white kids than we thought. Simple things like, we all hated Friday fish squares, but loved Sloppy Joes. Still, all the Sloppy Joes in the world weren't going to extinguish the flames of injustice that singed anything brown. By the time I became a teenager, the street-level perception was King had seemed too willing to make nice for white folks. For us, the dashiki-clad, big Afro-revolutionary was it. This was 350 years of oppression come crashing down on you, and here King is asking you to whisper instead of holler. Man, you must be crazy. It was next to impossible to love and forgive. You wanted to hate and scream for revenge. That's why the poster over my bed in high school wasn't King. It was Malcolm X. My understanding of King would change dramatically one night in New York City. At 17, in an uptown jazz club, a young white college student and I began arguing about race. He went on and on about the greatness of King, and I finally said, look, man, King was an Uncle Tom. He looked at me as if I had lost my mind and asked if I had read any of King's writings. I hadn't, but tried to pretend I had. He pressed on, of course you haven't, because you're black and you all never know anything about your history or culture. Mm. At that moment, I was ashamed. Shamed to admit to myself that the truths of this great man, who had just recently improved the quality of my life as an American, were largely unknown to me. I began reading Dr. King's books and books written about him. There I discovered he was in fact a powerful revolutionary, a genius who recast the Bible and the Constitution to teach us a new and better way of being free by embracing each other. And then of course, his soaring rhetoric was poetry itself with an irresistible lyricism, Dr. King galvanized an all-American army from all walks of life. Believers, thirsty for change. Today, too many of us remember him as an idealistic dreamer who led a social movement exclusively for black folks. This does him and us a great disservice. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is action. Under his generalship, civilian forces of labor, clergy, youth, and even politicians marched to a string of great victories. 
the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, amongst others. These laws made racism illegal and made us all better Americans. The legacy of Dr. King is all around us. It's all up in us. Even back then, he preached timeless human fundamentals that we all share. He once said, everybody has the blues. Everybody longs for meaning. Everybody needs to love and be loved. But let's not forget, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. paid the ultimate price to bring our nation together in the fight for freedom. The power in national unity is something that we've forgotten. It's up to us to revive and sustain it today and always. Coming up. Coretta Scott King, along with Stevie Wonder, presented a petition signed by six million people to Tip O'Neill, who was the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and that made a big difference. Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina openly opposes it. He threatens a filibuster, and he accuses Dr. King of being a communist. You're listening to the Martin Luther King Jr. Day special, Unifying America, from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jamal Simmons, CBS News political contributor. Welcome back to the Martin Luther King Jr. Day special, Unifying America from the CBS Audio Network. I'm CBS News political contributor Jamal Simmons. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday is a national holiday celebrated across the country. But creating this holiday that commemorates one of our greatest heroes and freedom fighters was a rocky road. We spoke with Jeff Rosen, the president and CEO of the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia, to discuss how Martin Luther King Jr. Day became a national holiday. Jeff, welcome. Great to be here. So, Jeff, you've been paying a lot of attention to how we got to an MLK Day. Tell me what is the story of the creation of the holiday? It's an amazing story, and it took basically 11 years to get a national holiday. Uh, It was Representative John Conyers who, days after Dr. King's assassination, introduced a motion to make his birthday a federal holiday. That was in 1968. But it didn't come up for a vote in the House of Representatives for 11 years uh, until 1979. And the bill fell flat. Tell us about that. Most people regard Coretta Scott King, Dr. King's widow, as really the heart and soul of this movement for the holiday. Is that right? Yes, she absolutely was central to the effort. And along with the King Center, she helped organize a March on Washington, which was very appropriate given Dr. King's role in the first March on Washington. And that earned about 500,000 people uh, who gathered in Washington. And Coretta Scott King, along with Stevie Wonder, presented a petition signed by 6 million people to Tip O'Neill, who was the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And that made a big difference. So what happened in the Senate? Well, Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina openly opposes it. He threatens a filibuster and he accuses Dr. King of being a communist. Uh, And Senator Ted Kennedy criticizes him and and people call this document filth. Uh, But despite this opposition, the bill passes the Senate by 12 votes. Even Strom Thurmond, who's a former segregationist from South Carolina, votes in favor of the King holiday. And President Ronald Reagan signs the bill in November 1983, meaning that the first federal holiday of Dr. King's birthday was celebrated in 1986. But it took even longer for 50 states to adopt the holiday 
And that's another incredible story. So Senator Helms goes to the floor of the Senate with a with a file folder, like a big mountain of files, and and he tries to lay out Dr. King's past and calls him a communist. It's amazing. It's a 400-page file. This is back in the 1980s. He accuses of being a communist. It just shows what kind of stuff was thinkable back then. But he gets strong criticism from, from Ted Kennedy, from Daniel Patrick Moynihan. In the end, uh, Dr. King prevails. And Moynihan, I hear, was pretty animated in his opposition to this. Did he have a moment? Well, he absolutely. He called the document filth, and he threw it on the Senate floor. It was incredibly dramatic and a great moment for Senator Moynihan. Okay, so now we have a federal holiday that exists. What happens out in the states? Well, it was a bumpy road in the states as well. Uh, it took a lot longer for all 50 states to adopt the holiday. By 1986, 17 states had already adopted it. But there's a bunch of resistance in some states, in particular in Arizona. In November 1990, the fight in Arizona comes to a head and people start boycotting Arizona in protest, saying, if you don't pass this holiday, we're not, we're not going to support you. The National Football League threatens to move the 1993 Super Bowl from Arizona um, unless the holiday wins at the polls because there's a two-part uh, referendum that the Arizona voters vote on. But the King holiday lost. The Arizona voters rejected in the two-part referendum. The NFL makes good on its threat. It takes the Super Bowl to Southern California. The state loses $500 million in revenue. So they have another referendum, and then Arizona voters approve the King holiday two years later. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember when Public Enemy had a song called By the Time I Get to Arizona, which was all about taking on the folks in Arizona. It's amazing. Arizona has had this long history of an interesting relationship with civil rights all the way through today with immigration. That really is. Not just for the King holiday, but for any establishment of a federal holiday, what would be the obstacles? What were some of the arguments ways, not just the civil rights arguments, but the practical arguments? What were some of the arguments against creating another federal holiday? Well, the big arguments are you can't give people the day off, or if we honor Dr. King, then we're going to have to honor everybody. But really, at its heart, it's an argument against who are the canonical heroes of America who deserve to be honored in this way? We have Washington, uh, Lincoln. Does Dr. King deserve to be in the pantheon? That's really what it was about. So you're, you're focused on the Constitution. And tell us a little bit about how you see Dr. King's message and his vision and how that comports with the U.S. Constitution, our founding fathers, and their vision for the country. Dr. King's vision was central to completing the vision of constitutional equality that was promised in the Declaration of Independence, that was thwarted in the original Constitution with its toleration of the abomination of slavery, that was resurrected by President Abraham Lincoln at Gettysburg, where he promised a new birth of freedom. But it wasn't until Dr. King and the March on Washington and the 1964 Civil Rights Act that Jefferson's promise resurrected by Lincoln was actually enshrined into federal law and made part of our national life. So Dr. King is crucial to completing the promise of liberty and equality in the original Constitution. And here at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia, we celebrate that legacy. And listeners can go online and check out our interactive Constitution, which gives the account of the meaning of liberty and equality and of every clause of the Constitution, bringing together the best voices in America on all sides and get a sense of how central Dr. King's constitutional legacy is. Okay, one more question about the NFL. 
the NFL played such a strong role in getting Arizona to change its mind. What do you think about the role the NFL played with players who were expressing their own dissent over the past few years, specifically when players were taking a knee during the playing of the national anthem? Well, it's interesting that the NFL in 1993 as an institution threatened to move to support civil rights. And now uh, some are arguing that it should come down harder on individual players who are trying to express their First Amendment rights. The example of Dr. King suggests that uh, uh, the NFL is at its best a host for people of different perspectives to express their views and in particular to support constitutional values. Now, when you think about the Constitution today and the rights to freedom of speech, freedom of the press, what is it in the celebration of this holiday that really evokes those core freedoms from our constitutional history? The one thing that unites Americans of different perspectives in red and blue America is the U.S. Constitution. Our commitment to freedom of speech, to equal protection of the law, and to the promise of freedom and civil rights that Dr. King embodied is something that all Americans can embrace. It's inspiring that uh, on the 150th anniversary of the amendments to the Constitution passed after the Civil War to guarantee equality and equal protection of the laws, that those values still resonate uh, with Americans in these polarized times, and they will ensure that America remains united as we the people for centuries to come. The National Constitution Center in Philadelphia is dedicated to the embodiment of our freedoms that is the United States Constitution. Jeff Rosen, President and CEO, thank you for being here. Coming up. We still have a distance to go before we lay down the scars and stains uh, of racism in America. I truly believe that these young people growing up today in the fifth grade we grew up in a better society, a different society. We would get it right. You're listening to the Martin Luther King Junior Day Special, Unifying America from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jamal Simmons, CBS News political contributor. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Martin Luther King Junior Day Special, Unifying America from the CBS Audio Network. I'm CBS News political contributor Jamal Simmons. In 2020, we lost another civil rights giant, Congressman John Lewis. 
Lewis strode side by side with Martin Luther King Jr. in the March to Freedom and Equality at the Lincoln Memorial. Jan Crawford, the chief legal correspondent for CBS News, profiled Congressman Lewis and his special bond with Martin Luther King Jr. for CBS This Morning in 2015. Two generations after the civil rights movement, through the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr., America is a nation changed. I would say to these young people, I knew Martin Luther King Jr. He was my hero. Congressman John Lewis, son of an Alabama sharecropper, became a leader of the movement, inspired by King. He told us to hate is too heavy a burden to bear. As young people, you must never, ever hate. You must never, ever become bitter or hostile. You must be hopeful. You must be optimistic. And never, never give up. But in the wake of the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner at the hands of police, there's fear the dream for many seems far away. We still have a distance to go before we lay down the scars and stings uh, of racism in America. I truly believe that these young people growing up today in the fifth grade will grow up in a better society, a different society. We would get it right. Lewis bears those scars. Nearly 50 years ago in Alabama on Bloody Sunday, he helped lead protesters across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. For Lewis, those memories cause pain. I was wearing a backpack. In this backpack, I had two books. I thought we were going to be arrested and go to jail. I wanted to have something to read. Had one apple and one orange. Wanted to have something to eat. Instead of arrest and jail, he and others were brutally beaten, his skull fractured. I thought I saw death. I thought I was going to die. My legs went from under me, and I fell. I just thought this was it. And I said to myself, I'm going to down this bridge. The images shocked America. King issued a call for religious leaders to come to Selma. Two weeks later, with federal protection, he, Lewis, and other leaders with thousands of people from all over America crossed that bridge and marched on to Montgomery, a peaceful protest for the right to vote. Black men fight together. Later that year, Congress passed the Voting Rights Act. The legacy of Dr. King. I mean, how do you even, how do you even put that into words? Martin Luther King, Jr., help free and liberate, not just a people, but a nation. Black and white. Black and white. And we, we, we was, he taught us all so much through his action, his words. He taught us how to live, and he taught us how to die. That if you believe in something that is so precious and so necessary, you have to stand up for it. You have to speak up and speak out. You're listening to the Martin Luther King Jr. Day special, Unifying America. From the CBS Audio Network, I'm CBS News political contributor Jamal Simmons. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.